This episode brought to you by Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to the AVA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is Paula Littlewood, who has been actively involved in lawyer regulation issues for many years. Paula was the executive director of the Washington State Bar Association from 2007 to 2019, and she served on the ABA's Commission on the Future of Legal Services from 2014 to 2016. Paula is a current member of the Institute for the Advancement of the American Legal Systems Board and the Responsive Law Board. She also continues to speak nationally and internationally about the different challenges and opportunities facing the legal profession. We will discuss ongoing lawyer re-regulation efforts across the country, as well as Washington State's pioneering limited license legal technician program. Please welcome to the Legal Rebels podcast, Paula Littlewood. Paula, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Lyle. It's great to be here. Paula, I thought I would have you start by sharing how you came to be such a strong proponent of efforts to reform the ways in which the legal profession is regulated. Well, I think as head of the Supreme Court's regulatory agency, that is the state bar in Washington state, learning about the unmet need, um, which we've been grappling with as a profession for decades, uh, really piqued my interest, but also motivated my desire to be a more accessible profession for the consumer. And what types of reforms do you recommend states seeking to strengthen access to justice pursue? Well, I think there's a host of things we can do. Uh, I look at sort of two flavors of regulatory reform. There's regulating the provider, um, and then there's um, regulating the system. And I think there's things we can do on, on both sides of that equation. Um, obviously, regulating the provider is something that Washington State has led on, and I think many states are jumping into, which is what I call the disaggregation of the legal service provider. I think we see a very easy model to understand in the medical profession, which is not every medical problem needs a doctor. And I think we're coming to learn that not every legal problem needs a lawyer. And of course, in medicine, we saw the disaggregation 40, 50 years ago, where we see the advent of the nurse practitioner, the physician's assistant, as our former chief justice talked about when she was in the hospital visiting a family member. She said, everybody's wearing blue suits, but they all know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing, right? Um, in medicine, they talk about practicing at the top of your license. So a doctor is is spending time and you're spending money on a doctor for the things that he or she is specially trained for, um, whereas other licensed professionals within the medical system can handle some of the other things. Um, I think that's a model that I hope legal is starting to embrace. And again, figuring out what are those things that 
another licensed professional could do that doesn't require the seven years of training that we get as lawyers. After the court had passed the rule in Washington state to create the limited licensed legal technician or the triple LT, you know, we used to talk about, you know, helping lawyers understand this is in your best interest because you'll actually be left to do the more complex things as these other licensed professionals and, and, you know, co-paraprofessionals can handle other things. Um, and so I think one of the issues, I think both in the United States and in Canada, so in North America, is that we've sort of held on to this monopoly, right? So in both countries, we were granted, you know, a complete monopoly on legal services. And compare that to England where, um, or the UK, where only seven things are actually reserved to lawyers as, you know, as licensed or regulated. And we really, we lost some monopoly decades ago. You know, in many states, realtors are practicing law. If you walk into a hospital today and in many places, they require you to sign healthcare directives or a will or things like that before you can have surgery. If you walk into a bank and you're opening different types of of accounts that may have implications right down the road, um, nobody's giving you legal advice, right? So, so we lost the monopoly decades ago, but we keep trying to hold on to it. Um, and that's sort of the image I have is that we're, you know, trying to hold on to this monopoly that many pieces of it we lost a while ago. And I think really there's more control in letting go if that makes sense. In other words, to the extent we decide, here are the things that we can let go of and other people or, you know, another system can handle, we actually maintain control over the system overall. And we, as we traveled around North America, talking about the triple LT and different venues, we used to say that we were thankful our Supreme Court had stepped in to create the license because they were maintaining control over the practice of law in our state. But I think, you know, that's, that's a, you know, human nature is not inclined towards change and lawyers in particular, I think change is hard. And I don't, I don't think that's a criticism. I think it's how we're trained. We're trained to be risk averse. We're trained to be precedent bound. Um, When the client comes in to sit down and get seeks your advice. They're not wanting you to be guessing at things. So, so it's this interesting um, environment where, you know, lawyers are problem solvers. That's what we're trained to do. But on the other hand, you're working in this environment that is not sort of predisposed to thinking outside the box or sort of an innate drive to change. So I think on the other side, which is changing regulation of the system. Um, There's all sorts of options, Um, entity regulation, um, alternative business structures, um, bringing in other folks uh, to work with us to expand services. Um, I think, you know, really, if we put our minds to it, the sky's the limit if, if we start thinking of different options. Paula, could you share, you know, what you think can be done to break through the gridlock and the opposition to, you know, breaking down the monopoly? Well, my thinking has changed over the years on this. 
And where I really land right now on this issue is that we need to break outside what I call the echo chamber of the profession and really start bringing the consumer and the public to the table to understand what changes could really enhance their ability to access legal services. I think in a lot of ways, the consumer is already speaking to us by choosing to get legal services other places. You know, LegalZoom, you know, estimates that every three minutes somebody starts a business on their website and every four minutes somebody starts a will. Avo, I, I don't know their current numbers, but certainly a couple of years ago, Avo was getting 325,000 hits a day to their website. Think about that number. 325,000 hits a day from the consumer. Um, Modria, um, which of course has also changed, but um, you know when they were first in the market, they were resolving you know 60 million cases a year, estimating that 90% of those had no human involvement. Right? If you, Lyle, and I had a disagreement, we'd input our information, and and using algorithms, they would you know spit out a, a solution for us. So. It's almost like the consumer is is leaving us because they're finding these other ways to resolve their issues, and we need to somehow figure out how do we stay in that mix. Um, I had a counterpart one time ask if if I was a, a lawyer hater, and I laughed and said, "No, I'm actually trying to preserve the profession. I, I think the consumer is finding." You know, the DIY, do it yourself. They're finding uh, easier and less expensive ways to resolve their issues. The question is, is it a better way? Is it a good way for them to resolve their issues? And I think the other issue is, is consumer protection embedded into some of these other alternatives? And if, if we're not in the game playing, we don't get a help, you know, inform whether there's actually consumer protection embedded into some of these alternatives for consumers to get services. Well, in a lot of these debates about how to, you know, re-regulate the legal profession are filled with commentary from lawyers. I mean, what do you think can be done to bring the broader public into these types of conversations? Well, one, reach out. (laughs) Um, because, and that's really why I call it an echo chamber. If I think over the last eight to 10 years of the presentations that I've given, you know, in North America or, or overseas, it's generally a lawyer audience or, you know, regulators or, you know, so, so on the one hand, we're sort of talking to ourselves, which is important because obviously that informs you know, we, we know the system, we understand the system, but that's an issue that I think many of us are grappling with right now is how do you take this issue outside the echo chamber for more input from the consumer? Uh, certainly, I know in Washington state in the wake of the Supreme Court's, the Washington Supreme Court's decision to sunset the triple LT, there's been a lot of op-eds in newspapers. There's uh, TV stations have picked up the story. 
So I think that's a way that consumers become informed. It's interesting because I used to always say, if you want to access the lawyers, it's easy because you can come to the state bar in any state, whether it's mandatory or voluntary, and you can access the lawyers because there's this one entry point, right? And that's not as easy with the consumers. So, so you have to think of different ways, you know, we've Groups have talked about AARP or, um, you know, but there's no one, we are the consumer group, (laughs) you know, come access the consumer here. Uh, So I think it's, it's, it's something we're all, you know, thinking about and and trying to figure out how do you access the quote unquote, the consumer. Obviously, Becky Sandifer has done some really great work around that. But that's, I think, in a research setting, which is of course, been critical to so much of what we've learned. But how do you take that message to the consumer? Um, you know, if you talk to a family member, you talk to a taxi driver, and you explain the concept of limited license legal technician, I can guarantee you that nine times out of 10, <laughs> the, the answer is, well, that totally makes sense. And I think it totally makes sense to a consumer because as we already talked about, they experience it in the medical profession all the time. You know, the surgeon isn't going to come in and draw your blood. You know, if a doctor, I you know, I always joke, if a doctor came into your room today to draw your blood, you would probably have one of two reactions. Bring me the phlebotomist, bring me the nurse, or you'd run from the room. Not because a doctor doesn't know how to draw your blood. It's just that it's not the best use of the doctor's training. And it's certainly not the best use of your or the insurance company's dollars to have the the doctor doing those types of routines, sort of something that somebody else can be trained to do. So I think the consumer, it's sort of a you know, no-brainer in some ways. Well, we'll be back after a short break. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com LTN. Welcome back to my conversation with Paula Littlewood. Paula, you mentioned the Triple LT program in Washington State and noted how the Supreme Court there recently voted to sunset the program. How do you think the program has performed since its approval in 2012? Well, I think one thing that's always important to keep in mind was that the rule was passed in 2012, but then really a new profession had to be created from whole cloth. So oftentimes people would say to us in a presentation, well, you only have this many after, you know, you know, four years or five years. But remember the first two years, the the Triple LT board, which is is a Supreme Court board, had to create, you know, first of all, figure out what the first practice area was going to be, which was family law. They had to develop the scope of practice that the Triple LT could practice in. They had to develop the education. We had to work with the community colleges, the law schools to to develop the curriculum. So, so, you know, in the first couple of years, there weren't even, you know, applications or, or people in the pipeline. So I think in the, you know, in the beginning, you have to get the foundation set. 
And then really, I mean, the community colleges came to the table very quickly because they saw new opportunity for their students, a new career. Um, we also started reaching out to high school counselors. And, and again, they saw this as this great opportunity for folks that may not, you know, want or, you know, are going to do the whole seven-year journey to become a lawyer. Uh, so then, you know, we started to get some into the pipeline. We started to get them licensed and then realized that we better be careful to not create this expectation from the public <laughs> that there were all these triple LTs available. Uh, so, you know, if, you know, looking back over it, should we have done more promotion of it to the public? And that might have helped generate more demand, possibly. But we definitely had demand from students. Um, my understanding right now is there were 275, close to 300 students in the pipeline in the community colleges when the license was sunsetted. Um, it's really upended some people's lives. I've seen some letters of folks that you know had chosen to move to Washington State so they could get the license. Um, so I think. It depends what you use as your metric for success. Uh, were there a lot licensed? No. Um, were we working on the pipeline and getting people into the pipeline and was it filling? Yes. Um, were the, you know, often you hear the criticism that the, the regulatory um, requirements were too stringent. Maybe. But when you're first in the water, that's not always a surprise. I think that the Triple LT board and um, the bar is the regulatory agency that was administering the license, you know, was, was, you know, coming back to the court with some changes. You know, the, the 3,000 hours of required under the supervision of a licensed attorney, personally, I always thought that was a little high. Um, I think that in the last year, conversations had begun to reduce that requirement. Interestingly, though, when the Public Welfare Foundation did a study of the of the profession of the license, they interviewed triple LTs, and they actually all thought the 3,000 hours was fine. <laughs> so, um, you know, depends who you ask. So it was early innovation, right? And so it probably had a bigger uphill climb. And I think that Dynamics changed in Washington State, um, both um, on the Board of Governors and on the court. And, and so we've seen a shift away from supporting the license and supporting the profession, which is too bad. And the court, in its letter announcing the sunset decision, noted that there were financial concerns about the program and that um, it hadn't been self-sufficient you know, what was your reaction to, I guess, both the sunset, but also the reasoning of the financial concerns? Well, it hadn't, it hadn't been self-sufficient. That's clear. It was 1% of the bar's $23 million budget. So I think from the standpoint of how much it was costing the bar, you know, when we, when we spoke to the California Board of Trustees uh, last fall or yeah, last fall maybe, and one of them sort of looked at the thought of 200000 Now, of course, they have a much bigger budget, but still in the big scheme of a budget, it, to me, it comes down to what are your budget priorities, right? I mean, the bar spends about that much on the Access to Justice Board. They spend that much on the Practice of Law Board. Um, so, 
you know, a budget is a policy document and you, you know, you make a statement about what you're committed to by this budget as a reflection of your policy. Um, I think the interesting thing is that they are allowing the triple LTs that have licenses to keep their licenses, which is great. But that means that the bar is still going to have to administer the license. So it would be interesting to see what's what's the fiscal impact. I mean, how much money are they really saving? Because you're still going to have to administer those that have a license. Um, and you're still going to have, I would imagine, a triple LT board because you're still going to need you know, policy decisions made. And you're still going to be using the whole mechanism of the bar's regulatory structure to administer that license. You know, and, and we... The lack of interest, again, I think the community colleges would probably have a different answer to that. So it does take some time to get get through the training and all of the requirements to get the license. So, again, my understanding is that there were many, many students in the pipeline. So I guess how do you, what's your metric for determining if there's interest or demand? What impact, if any, do you think the Washington Supreme Court's decision regarding the Triple LT initiative will have on other states that have launched or considering launching similar efforts? Um, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm in touch with folks in different states. I, I don't think it's slowing anybody down. Um, I saw that Florida just announced that they're going to be looking at it in 2021. I know California is still proceeding Arizona clearly, or excuse me, Utah is clearly down the road. Um, so I think, you know, if, if anything, I don't know if it'll chill other states, but I think it's a good, what can they take away from it? You know, and, and what we always hoped and when we would talk to other jurisdictions was, you know, because when Washington state was developing it, they had nowhere to turn to you know, say, oh, here's a model. We'll just take that and and make it fit to what we want to do. And so what we've always hoped and what we used to talk to other states about is that hopefully it shortens their curve to getting up and online with a such a license because they don't have to take how we did it wholesale, but at least they've got a model to start from. I mean, we all know when you're, when you're writing something, it's easier to edit than to create, right? So um, that was, you know, that was our hope, but you know, you had a bunch of states that, you know, Oregon's looked at it twice and said, we should do it, but I'm not sure they're in the water actually putting it together. I think New Mexico has just had their second group look at it and is recommending doing it. So I think this sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Change is hard and um, it takes time. And I think the, the frustration for me is that the consumer increasingly is just choosing to go other places. And, you know, we're not a profession that sort of, you know, if you think of artists and musicians and directors and writers, you know, they have this sort of innate drive to create. And um, I'm not sure that's altogether present in the legal profession. I used to joke when I was still at the bar towards the end, you know, I used to joke that I was like Galileo. You know, you can kill me, but the world is still around. Um, in other words, okay, so sunset the triple LT, you know, do multiple task forces and work groups, which is what we see in all these different states, which is great. 
But the unmet need is, if anything, getting worse. And we're not making a dent in that issue. Um, I reached out to the Legal Services Corporation last year when I was sort of revamping my future of the profession presentation. And I said, you know, can you give me the data on unmet need over the last you know, 40, 50 years? Um, to be honest, <laughs> certainly hasn't got better. You might even say it's gotten worse. Um, and so again, I always closed my presentations by sort of saying, you know, that the consumer is just leaving us. And that's not to say that lots of lawyers aren't still busy and we need lawyers. Um, we just don't have enough lawyers. Physically, we do not have enough lawyers to meet the unmet need. And, you know, you could triple the number of law schools in this country and you still wouldn't have enough lawyers to meet the staggering unmet need we have, not just at low income, but moderate income and middle income. You know, the World Justice Project tells us that middle-income folks are going without representation 50% of the time. So, you know, in my new presentation, I have a slide of just, we're not making a dent. We really aren't. Paula, what's your advice to other states making progress on re-regulation in light of what's happened in Washington State where things seem to be going backwards a bit? Well, be bold. Put the consumer, the public, First, we are a service profession. Um, the Washington State Bar's mission statement was, you know, serve the public and the members. Um, and, and it was always interesting to me because the, the board 14 years ago very deliberately put service to the public first in the mission statement. And people used to sort of argue about, you know, members should come first, public should come first, and sort of put the two at odds. And that never made sense to me. And I used to always say, you know, we serve the members in furtherance of our obligation to serve and protect the public. If we aren't serving the members, we can't serve the public. So, you know, and I think particularly for, for Supreme Courts in every state, they are the regulatory agency, not, not the state bar. Be, be very clear. The regulator is the Supreme Court. All of the mandatory state bars are operating under delegated authority from the Supreme Court just to administer that system. I used to always explain to people the Washington State Bar doesn't admit anybody. We don't disbar anybody. We don't suspend anybody. What we do is run all of the systems so that we can say to the court, here are the people who have met your standards and should be admitted. Then the court enters the order to admit them. So, so it's really important to never lose sight of the fact that the regulator in every state is the state Supreme Court, not the Bar Association. But my advice would be be bold. There's, there's time for incremental change and there's time for bold change. And I think the time now is for bold change. Um, if you watch what happened in you know, England and Wales, and with the Legal Services Act in 2007, it was done to them, right? Parliament stepped in and literally overnight took self-regulation away from the profession. And, you know, my take on that is that, you know, the consumer or the constituent is upset. They can't afford a lawyer. They can't access a lawyer. So they complain to the elected official. And what do elected officials do when when their constituents are upset, they act. And so, you know, what I use, what I talk a lot about is, you know, get in the water, 
um, or it will be done to you. You got to get in the water and start making these changes. Um, the other piece I would say, which Margaret Hagen held this great session uh, last year, it was called prototyping for policy. And sort of the theory behind it was that when you're building a chair, you're, I'm hoping Margaret agrees this is what the theory was, but uh, you know, when you're building a chair, you're building a table or something, you know, you do prototypes until you figure out, you know, oh, this is the design that works. And so it was this um, convening to sort of see, could you prototype for policy? It was really interesting. People could come from all over the world. And, and it wasn't just legal. It was all these different arenas. Of, um, and really what I took away from that is, and I know this doesn't sound earth shattering, but policy is only as good as the people in place. So as you're implementing the change and making bold efforts, it's, I think, really important to make sure that, that all leadership is agreeing and coming along you know, and, and I think that's really what happened in Washington State. You know, my understanding as head of the court's regulatory agency was my obligation was to, as I said, serve the members in furtherance of my obligation to serve and protect the public, right? That was our role as a regulator, consumer protection, access to the system. And, you know, the, the board changed over the last couple of years with folks, which is their prerogative, which felt that you know, that the, the obligation was was to the members. Um, again, that's not a criticism. That's our prerogative. Clearly a disconnect <laughs> um, between what the thought is of what the agency's role is. Um, so I guess my, my two pieces of advice are be bold, but also to always keep in mind that policy is as good as the people who are in place. Um, and, you know, so... You know, look at Washington State. We were we were way out there for many many years. We were the leader that everybody turned to, and, and not so much now. Paula, thanks for joining me today. Well, thanks so much for having me, Lyle. Um, I I just want to say I'm I'm so proud to be a lawyer, and as executive director of the state bar, I used to always say I was proud to work for my profession in my profession, and I continue to be a proud lawyer and proud of our profession. So I'm excited to see what we'll all achieve together. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.